0: Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today because I get to start a brand new teaching today that, that's going to run through the book of Acts. And it's, it's the title's right here. It's called, everybody say it with me at one time. One, two, three. Some of you got that right. Ecclesia. All right. That's the original Greek word that uh, is translated in your Bible as church. Now, I don't know what you think of when the word church, when it comes to your mind, but let me just jump out and say, it's probably not what Jesus intended when he instituted his church. It's changed so much because in the the New Testament church, there were no Bibles. There were no bands playing music. There were no buildings. There was no institution or hierarchy as we understand it right now. It was just an exciting, life-changing movement. And it was all galvanized around one amazing event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the whole church began. These were uh, hundreds of people, in fact, who had seen Jesus crucified on the cross, and then they saw him alive for about four weeks later and spent time with him, and that was the driving force of the church. It wasn't a building or a denomination. It wasn't like a status symbol like it is in parts of the world, especially here in the South. It was simply uh, the, the, the story of who Jesus was. Now, this word ekklesia, by the way, if you're normally attending daystar and you're wondering what happened to me because I gave you notes with no writing on it, because every week there's like three blanks that will change your life in the notes. Now it's just all blanks for about three or four weeks, okay? Because I want you to, i want to just take you through the book of Acts. And we're just going to get the most exciting story in all of history. That's the story of Jesus' church in its beginning. And so you write down whatever God speaks to you. But this word Ecclesia, just in the most simple uh, translation, just means an assembly or a gathering. Now this is the idea, this is the idea that Jesus, uh, when he called his group of people the church, he wasn't talking about a building, he was talking about when the people gather together. But then something terrible happened throughout history. And this idea transitioned from a movement to a location, from a gathering to a hierarchy. And if you know anything about medieval history in the Middle Ages, you know that the church was used and misused for all kind of political gain. A lot of horrible things happened in the name of the church. And so, so now actually this word "ecclesia" is kind of the word we have church kind of comes from a around 300 AD from a German word the Goths used uh, called church. And it means the Lord's house. Everybody say the Lord's house. That sounds normal to us, right? I'm going to the Lord's house. I'm going to church. But see, that's not what Jesus called it at all. Jesus called it a gathering. And so from that moment to now, the idea of church has gone from a movement to a location. Instead of a mission or a driving force. And before long, church became a building. And whoever controlled the church building controlled the church. If you control the building, you controlled scripture. And if you controlled scripture, you controlled people. And in parts of Europe, if you could control all of that, you were also in control of government. And that is why many of the world today have completely turned their back on organized religion. And if you try to share the gospel in Europe, you try to convert someone to Christianity, it's like convincing them to change political parties, which by the way, is why I don't preach politics from this pulpit. I would never lower the message of Jesus to my political opinion. I'm not going there. Your political opinions, my political opinions are about a flawed, earthly, temporary kingdom called the United States. This is about a perfect, eternal kingdom from heaven. And so we're not going to trade one for the other. It's been tried. If you don't know how that works, go to Europe today. You'll find 1% to 2% of the population gathering for worship as we are today. All right? And so that's what happened. And that's why so much of Europe and really the whole world turned its back on the church. But then something beautiful happened. Something wonderful happened around 1500, right in the 1500s. A guy named William Tyndale, an Englishman, a scholar of linguistics, he determined the whole world needs to be able to read the Bible itself, instead of a few highly educated in Latin priests telling us what the Bible says. Having you got to come to church, you got to have somebody to tell you what the Bible says. You can't read it for yourself, and they can control you because they loved power in the in, in in the Middle Ages in church hierarchy. Instead of that, he said you ought to be able to read the Bible yourself. And so he took the original Greek, which is the New Testament, and Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, in its original languages, and started translating our first English Bible. Now they hated him for that in the politically charged church in, in England and he had to run away to Germany. But there in Germany, thank God, because the the, the printing press, thanks to Gutenberg, about 100 years earlier, the printing press had become available. And so he printed lots of copies and smuggled it back into England. And now everybody had access to the Bible for themselves. Now, the power brokers of the politicized church didn't like it. They arrested Tyndale, they put him on trial for heresy, found him guilty, they hanged him and burned his body as an enemy of the church. But it was too late because the institutionalized church had already lost its power. It was beginning to be put into the hands of people as they read the Bible. And This is the statement that William Tyndale made at his own trial in front of the organized church. He said, if God spares my life ere many years, I'll cause a plow, uh, a boy that drives a plow to know more of scripture than thou dost. And that's exactly what he did. There are farmers today who know the scripture as well, or in some cases better than theologians. And this drove them crazy. What drove them crazy more than anything else? was what he did when he translated that word "ecclesia." Now, you know Jesus never said church because he didn't say any English words. You understand that, right? He didn't even speak in the King James Version. (laughs) I know, it's it's just hurting your head right now. You can't hardly believe that. He didn't speak in any English versions whatsoever. He spoke in Greek or maybe Aramaic. And and when he said "ecclesia." What what William Tyndale did, he didn't translate it as church at all. He translated it as congregation. And that's really what Jesus meant. He wasn't talking about a building, right? He wasn't talking about an organization. He was talking about people. And we know that because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gathered his disciples and said, who do men say that I am? This is the hinge point of the disciples' journey. This is the apex of their realization. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but what about you? And this is the most important thing Peter would ever say. He said, Peter steps up. He was always the guy. He would either say the dumb thing or the amazing thing. This time it was amazing. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And see that realization, Jesus responded and said, blessed are you Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and upon this rock, what rock? the rock of this realization that Jesus is the son of God, very soon to be raised from the dead, I will build my ecclesia. Don't think church in the way you've been trained or understand it. We're going to go to church. No, no, no. I'm going to build my movement, my miracle working band of believers. I'm going to build my ecclesia and the gates of Death, your your Bible might say gates of hell. This is actually a better translation. The gates of death or of hell will not overcome it. What he was saying was, it doesn't matter who dies. See, Jesus was predicting even his own death. He kept doing it over and over about 30 times. Even here, I think he was saying, the gates of death are gonna come after me and it won't be able to overcome my church. It doesn't matter who dies. God's church moves on. I'll never forget the feeling I had the morning after Billy Graham died. I turned to my wife as I woke up that morning and I said, this is the first day of my life I've lived in a world without Billy Graham. I mean, it struck me, it, it, it hurt my heart. But you know what I've seen? I've seen thousands of people come to faith. I've seen them getting wet in the baptistry. God's church keeps moving on because the gates of death cannot prevail against who Jesus is. Come on, y'all. He's the resurrection and the life. And this is where the story begins. It doesn't begin around doctrine or around teaching. It begins around the resurrected Jesus. Now, not long after this, Jesus was killed, crucified, murdered. He rose again and he's teaching for about four weeks and he gathers together his disciples and about a 100 plus other people, right? And he starts telling them uh, about the future. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1 and 6 when they met together, they ask him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? They were confused. They thought it was going to be political. We always want politics and power. It's, it's what men want. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive dunamis, the Greek word their power. You will receive, you powerless people who had no money, no authority, no position, you're on the run for your life, you're going to receive power. It wasn't the kind of power they were thinking about, like we're going to overthrow Rome. It was transcendent power that would go beyond Rome, beyond the age they were in, all the way until today, right? You'll receive power. Do you know (laughs) Jesus gave out so much power that there is yet to be a political force strong enough to defeat it? I mean we are right now in the most powerful superpower in the history of mankind. We're in the United States and you know that God's church is far greater than this nation. I mean that when he said you're about to receive power, he, they could not have comprehended the kind of power. And he said the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to be my what? That's what the church is. Church is not buildings, it's not even teachings, it's witness. You're going to witness in Jerusalem, the city they were in, in Judea, the surrounding area, in Samaria, the next door neighbor town where they hated everybody. He said, yes, you're going to love them too. And all the way to the ends of the earth. And two weeks later, something amazing happened. That group of about 120 people were gathered together praying. Jesus had ascended to the Father. They were waiting on the promise of power for the Holy Spirit to come, and the Jewish festival of Pentecost happened, and and believers in Jehovah from all over the known world were gathering together. They spoke many different languages, and the Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues unknown to them, languages unknown to them. And they left that upper room and went into the streets. And all those people from all those different areas who had, who had come and spoke different languages, these believers started talking to them in their own language. They were Galileans. Now, if you want to know what the Galileans were, it was like the Alabamians. It was the country folks. And they're now speaking. How many languages do you know? I know pretty good English and redneck. How many with me, right? You know that many languages. These Galileans, they're speaking all kinds of different languages, and it's blowing everyone's mind, and they're telling everyone in their own language that Jesus is the Messiah. I saw him with my eyes. I watched him hang and die on a cross, and days later, I saw him standing up and walking around. He was walking through walls and teaching the gospel. He is alive. And so this multinational, multi-ethnical, multicultural movement called the church began with witnesses. And so Peter said, so we've got a church now. Let's preach the first sermon. And here's what he did in Acts chapter two. He stood up in front of all those people and said, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you with miracles, Wonders and signs, which God did among you through Him. You you know this, okay? He's talking to all these people. They've been around Jerusalem. They've been around Judea. They understand the stories of Jesus. Said, you yourselves know this. This man was handed over to you. He's speaking largely to Jews by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, God did this. He he planned it all alone, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. All right, let let me stop right there just for a minute. These, these, this New Testament church is is built around this knowledge. These people are listening. They're intent because they have, they've seen the miracles of Jesus. They've heard the amazing teaching, how he raised Lazarus from the dead that had just recently happened. They're on the edge of their seats. And Peter goes on and says, with the help of wicked people, you put him to death by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Remember, Jesus, had said, I'm about to build my ecclesia, and the gates of death won't hold it. Peter gets it now. He says it was impossible for death to hold him. And God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all what? Witnesses to this fact. Let me tell you, when they gathered that day, they didn't gather around a text or a teaching because they didn't have one. They didn't gather around a hierarchical leadership. They didn't have a band. They were witnesses. The New Testament church was not rallying even around the Bible. It was rallying around one simple fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came to earth. He died on a cross. He carried the sins of all the world, but he rose again on the third day. We saw him with our eyes and we know he's alive. That's what started this story. And so they they believed, they're convinced, guys, I I, I, I can tell by your voice, I can tell that you spoke in different languages. God must be doing something. And so we just keep reading through the book of Acts. He goes on and says that all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut, they were convicted They were moved on in, in the same way that you have been moved on in this gathering before. We've gathered together and a song has cut your heart or a message or a moment in here has cut your heart. That began right there and then at the first sermon of the first church. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, go to church. That is not what Peter said. (laughs) They would have no concept of go. To church. That wouldn't make any sense to them. Our mindset is, you know, I need, to, I need to get back in church. I guess I need to go to church. I ain't been doing right. I need to go to church. That mentality would make no sense to them because they knew what I'm hoping we can recapture, that the church is not a building or a denomination or a hierarchy or organization. It's a rapid movement. It's like wildfire running through a sagebrush on a dry summer day. It can't be stopped. It can't be contained. When God does something great in your life, it doesn't mean you're supposed to run away from all the lost people and go to church. Man, you go right out to those lost people. You tell them what God has done in your life and you let the fire that's happened inside of you burn up everywhere you know and everywhere you go. That's, that's how the church began. And so Peter didn't tell them to go to church. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that mentions you. The first sermon ever recorded in the New Testament church mentions you. It starts right here. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. That's you. This is a two millennia, 2,000 year old document that speaks to you. For all whom the Lord God will call. And those who accepted the message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. Can you say revival? We have talked about revival. This community, uh, this nation in many ways is in revival. This was a giant revival. There were in that whole city of Jerusalem in those days, maybe 60 or 70,000 people, 3,000 of them. Came to faith in Jesus that day. And when it says they got baptized, they didn't like organize a social media phenomenon with dueling baptistries, they just went to the Jordan River or to other places in the water. And they just started dunking people and they had to find somebody who knew how to dunk people. And like, it was all brand new, right? And they were doing it all over different parts of the city and everybody was noticing it and they're breaking ceremonial laws, who's in the water and who used to be in the water and who's standing beside me in the water Had all these weird Jewish rules. I mean, it was chaos. And the Bible goes on and says, and more were added every single day. It was like an amazing movement. And folks, 2,000 years later, There's only one thing that connects every believer in Jesus together, Protestants and Catholics and Pentecostals and Baptists and Methodists. There's one thing that connects us together. It's not how we worship. It's not our buildings. It's not, you know, our our seminaries or even our beliefs or even how we take communion. The one thing that still connects us today is what the whole church was founded on. It is the realization that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world and that he rose on the third day and he's still alive. That's the message we have today. Yeah, give Jesus praise if you know he's still alive. And we need to get back to that energy, to that message, to that excitement, to that momentum. This is what the church is all about. I don't want to argue about once saved, always saves. I don't want to argue if Baptists should be talking in tongues. I don't want to talk about whether or not Democrats are going to go to heaven or if Republicans actually have a heart. Don't argue with me about lights and buildings and budgets and sound or should we have Sunday school. All I want to tell them, I don't have time for all of that. I know Jesus picked me he chose me I'm a sinner I'm unworthy I don't belong he gave me a second and a third and a 500th chance and he keeps loving me and there are people in the world who don't know that and that is why we are here they have to know the love of Jesus if I have one more stupid preacher tell me I need to be preaching for the Republican Party I'm going to lose my mind I'm preaching for the son of God, the savior of the world, the healer of my soul. I'm not selling it for your favorite politician. If you need that, you need a new preacher. I can find somewhere else to be. I'm not selling my soul for any earthly politics. Jesus is who saved me. The Republican Party, the Democrats—they didn't save me. The 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 style of music that you like didn't save me. The budget that you hoping we're surplusing didn't save me. None of those things saved me. I'm gonna tell you know what? I'm just I'm the most amazed person in the world that I can tell this message of Jesus and I get a paycheck for it. That's wonderful. I never thought. Come on up. I've looked at you until I can't look no more. Come on up here. I, I. I, I can't believe it. When I started preaching the gospel, I thought nobody will listen and certainly nobody will pay. It's awesome that you guys pay me to do this, but if, if, if I don't get paid, I wasn't expecting to get paid when I started doing this. That'll be fine. I am going to tell the story of Jesus. And from, from that day that Peter told us that this promise was for all of us, and that it was about Jesus until this day. There's been William Tyndales who gave their life so that I could hold this book right here and know for myself, I don't have to listen to a priest to tell me what it says. And there have been men like Jim Elliott who gave his life so that an unreached people group in South America could know the gospel and he was murdered for it. There have been people like Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke who crisscrossed the world so the whole world would hear the message of Jesus. And there have been less famous people like Kip Potter and, and Jameson Creel and, and Chris Harrison, people that you know that push the gospel around the world. And there's people like you. You are a missionary to this city. You're a missionary to the school you attend, to the place where you work, to the family you're a part of. There'll be no Billy Graham. There'll there'll be no Pastor Jerry to share the gospel with your children. You're the missionary to your sons and daughters, to your parents. And and, and every time that, that people gather in a coffee shop or over lunch or in your living room for a small group, you are pressing the gospel to the world. Every time you serve the city and you help someone in need in our community, you are showing the love of Jesus. Every time we celebrate baptism and we're cheering because we know that as exciting as it is for you to get your high school diploma or a college degree or get married, what you're doing, what's symbolized when you go under that water is far superior to all of that and a million other things message of Jesus is the greatest message there is. When we had just had our, one of our first staff members, Ben Murray, he's about 21 years old. We had, uh, went to a little minister's meeting in Coleman and the guy got up the pastor of this church, got up to tell us how old his church was. He was proud of how old it was. It was one of the oldest churches in the world or whatever. And he was excited about it. He actually started arguing with a Catholic priest about which one had the oldest church. It was a really glorious moment in the history of Christianity. And uh, he was talking about how full the church was and they had multiple services. And young Ben didn't understand religion very much. He was just on, on fire for God. You know, people who are on fire for God have a hard time with religion sometimes. And he said, uh, he asked the older pastor, he said, so when are y'all gonna relocate or build a new building? And that guy was floored. He just was shocked that he would mention something like that. He said, "Well, wow, this church building has been here. It's been a center of Coleman religion for over 100 years, brother. And Ben was shocked that you would be so in love with a piece of real estate when you yourself said we can't reach more people. He, he could, he, ben couldn't fathom, young Ben couldn't fathom the thought that we would be so in love with our church building that we wouldn't reach out to the church, the lost people of God who he wanted to be called to his church. And and it occurred to me that that day that the elderly preacher thought that Ben and me were, were some new next generation preachers who didn't value the old ways because we didn't value his church building built in the 1800s. But the fact was we were valuing the older ways. We weren't going back to 1800s. We're going back to the first century where Jesus said, I want you to go out in the streets in the highways and hedges and compel people. I'm throwing a party and there's not enough believers to, to fill the table that I have spread. I want you to find the lost, the degenerate, the broken, the confused, the angry and the bitter and bring everybody into my house that you can find. He didn't care about the status of a building in a city. He cared about his lost people. And so I don't know what, uh, what you think about the word church today, but I pray and hope that it's changing, that you realize church is not an establishment. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's a movement. And I hope you don't cling so tightly. And I hope you know that when you give, to, to, to the, the movement of God, you you create space for, for for new people to come to faith. You you send missionaries. You plant new churches. You know, just I want to I want to close by showing you what we did last week. It is so Acts chapter two. I got to lead a, a group of about ten people to to plant a new church in Uganda. Uh, the two hundred and tenth. Daystar International Ministries Church. That's pretty cool that a church from Coleman's got 210 locations in in Uganda. Show that first picture. We did crusades. I'm gonna show some pictures on the big screen. We did crusades. About 300 people came to faith in that crusade. And the next picture will show you the new church that we started. On the first day of that church, there was 900, that's day one of a church. There's 900 people in that church on day one. Y'all give God praise for that. We built that building in three weeks. <laughs> Meanwhile, about thirty miles from there, I was preaching at Daystar. Uh, show that shot, uh, a couple different shots of Daystar Church, uh, Daystar Cathedral. This is our church right there. Just if you'll just scroll through those. Uh, uh, just packed full, about 4,000 people were there. Look at this invitation right here. As I give an invitation here, the first man to come up was a man, you can barely see him in the middle. He was wearing a blue suit. Thank you, that's enough of those pictures. Man came running up in a blue suit. At first person to come up, I've preached, I don't have time to tell all about that, but let me just say you this. He gave his life to Jesus, and later he gave a testimony. That he was a successful businessman and a bar owner in the largest city in Kampala, the city or the largest city in Uganda, the city of Kampala. But that he he wanted to give his life to Jesus today and he wanted to give his business to Jesus. He wanted to close that bar and open a church on that property. He wants that to be the next Daystar Church where a bar used to be in the city of Kampala. And that is the church religion would look down and see the beautiful stained glass windows at some of the fine cathedrals in the world and say, look there, there's God, there's the church. But I think Jesus would look down and see that bar in Kampala turned into a church and say, there's my church right there. There's my people. That's my story. And I just want to close by telling you this, that's you, that's your story. Peter said this in the first sermon that was ever preached in the New Testament church. He said, this promise of the Holy Spirit and the story of Jesus is for you and your children and your children's children and as many as will believe far off. That was you. That was me. I'm the far off believer. And if you don't know Jesus, today's your day. I don't want you to join church. I don't want you to be a part of an establishment. Fill out a card. So we get. I'm not. I'm talking about that. I am talking about you being the next exciting step in a movement that is shaping and changing the.